He won Journalist of the Year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's National Review Online's Jim Garrett. How do you like me now? She's a front-page contributor to Red State and a broadcast professional who calls life the way she sees it. Yeah! Crank up the radio! Very interesting! She's Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by our returning sponsor, Vault Tech Corporation. Now offering special deals for dealing with the threat from North Korea. Remember, there's probably no place on any continent sufficiently isolated from radioactive fallout. And if you try to escape to some remote island, you may run into other dangers, like contestants from Bachelor in Paradise. So remember, after the bombs drop, your money will be worthless, so you might as well spend it on products from vault <laughs> I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White and Big Dave Perkins. And guys, it's a mildly uh, uh, apocalyptic tone to today's show. Hopefully, this will make it to air before the world ends at a, you know the second Korean War. Oh, for the love of God! <laughs> but Mickey, you're really in a mood to talk about Bachelor, so let's focus on those. Those. I, I would like to talk about something a little closer to reality: the nuclear war with North Korea. I'd like to talk about the romance on the Bachelorette. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> hey, people being aglow for a completely different reason. <laughs> oh, God. are you like me now, Hans Blick? There you go, Hans How you like that? Just radiating love here. <laughs> we are radiating love. Guys, welcome back. And since our last broadcast, the Bachelorette finale has aired. And it was dramatic. It was emotional. It was very real. And the ending was the most anticlimactic thing I've ever seen. Really? What now, didn't happen? Here's what happened, guys. So she gets it down to the final three. That's like the beginning of the show. She gets rid of Eric, which was fine with me because I didn't really like him that much anyway. So now she's down to Peter and Brian, two favorites from the very beginning. Peter seemed like the most sincere. Are you sure you're not watching Family Guy here with Peter and Brian? (laughs) I want to make sure. And, And Brian is the hot Colombian lover, like... Speaks to her in Spanish, maybe a little too smooth for some. And as they've gone through these dates, it becomes clearer and clearer um, that her parents really liked Peter, that she really liked Peter, that, you know, she really had the hots for Brian. There was no joke with that. But it just seemed like there was something very real. Now, Peter, my guess is Peter never watched the show before because he got all the way to the end and throughout proceeds to say, I'm not sure I'm ready to propose to somebody after just meeting them on a reality show. Did did no one mention to him that this was kind of how the show worked? <laughs> yeah, he missed the memo of some didn't get to a meeting. You. So they're in their final night, you know, fantasy suite, spend the evening together and, you know, really work things out kind of moment. And she's like, you know, basically like, say you're going to marry me, say you're going to propose to me. And he's like, I don't think I can do that. And so ultimately later that night before the big, you know, final rose ceremony, because that's the drama of the show is at the end, they have the two people come up and she selects which one she wants to be with. And then you have to, they decide whether or not to propose. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, the night before the final rose ceremony, she goes to visit Peter in his room. 
<laughs> and they talk. And she basically proceeds to say, you know, will you propose to me tomorrow if I pick you? And he's like, no. <laughs> and then at one point he was like, well, you know, if it'll make you feel better, I'll propose to you. But it'll just be a sign that, like, I want to be with you and I'm willing to propose to you as a sacrifice. This this season's production crew are definitely not distributing some important memos. (laughs) I'm telling you. So they end up breaking up right then and there. It's very emotional. It's very dramatic between the two of them. But... The very next scene is like cut to the rose scene where you know there's only one left. <laughs> Anticlimactic. Um... Yes, and also it, you know, it causes you to think in your mind. Now, there's two ways to look at this, but it, it causes you initially to think in your mind, Brian wins by default. Mm-hmm. Because she couldn't get Peter to say, yes, I will propose to you. Or maybe Peter agreed off camera and we were going to be surprised by his change of heart. But uh, I guess that didn't happen. Okay, so I was totally with you, Dave. I was like, maybe there'll be a twist. (laughs) (laughs) Notice that the conventions of fictional television, uh, there's a dramatic twist at the end, have conditioned us to expect a dramatic twist at the end in reality. When, in fact, I'm guessing it did not. No, there was no twist. And then, of course, she gets up there, and of course, she picks Brian because there's only one left. And one of the best lines was right before we went to that final commercial, before she picked Brian, Chris Harrison, the host, said, you think you know what's going to happen, but do you? Right. And I'm like, well, there's one (laughs) guy. Yes, you do. (laughs) Yeah, like, there's one guy left. There's, you know, and again, there was no twist. It was just straight up, okay, here you go. (laughs) So I so he proposes, and then you know it was a live show, so they had the guys back on to discuss it. The exchange between she and Peter was painful, and it made me feel bad for Brian because you know again he's the quote winner of this entire situation, and and he reproposed, and you know they tried to like romanticize it up a little bit, but after all the drama that they circulated around Peter, it made it feel just so icky like and the and the reality i had thought she would pick brian all along um and yet after watching all of these scenes play out with peter i was like and now i feel kind of dirty about it <laughs> I, I, it's really intriguing when you can make the audience of the bachelor and the bachelorette feel icky <laughs> not the concept but the result I, I i noticed mickey that your opinion is shared very broadly across television critics and social media I am going to quote that trash tabloid, The New Yorker, um, where I'm not making this up. Doreen St. Felix is a contributing writer for The New Yorker and has assessed the finale. This this required coverage in, you know, the most high-minded cultural magazine of all. And she writes, "The The Bachelorette is not a show that rewards Peter's strain of seriousness, however valiant it may seem. It seems abundantly clear that if he and Rachel had met outside of this champagne-filled petri dish, they would have sorry, this champagne-filled petri dish, they would have continued their relationship and let it run its natural course, whether toward marriage or not. But the Bachelor franchise is predicated upon the idea that a foundation of a marriage can be built in two months. For eight weeks, viewers, many of them women and gay men, who have historical reasons to distrust the institution of marriage. <laughs> It's the New Yorker. We have to make points like that in the middle of the paragraph. Uh, Take residence in this delicious lie. 
It is the show's deep cynicism. The red roses and heartfelt professions are merely window dressing. The chase is to the ring, as material a goal as any other reality show prize. The viewers are romantics. The contestants are strategists. Um, actually, I, you know, she's pretty on point. It's with a it. fair assessment. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that she's pretty on point with that. I think um, the, if you think about it, it and you realize Trista and Ryan are famous precisely for being pretty much the only couple that stayed married through all of those bachelors and bachelorettes, you know, it's really a, a kind of a low, low likelihood phenomenon after that uh, proposal is made that anything serious that, follows it. I believe that married at first sight has a better record. They do. They do. Yeah. They have a better <laughs> record of people staying together now. And of course, upcoming, we've got the bachelor in paradise where all of the cast offs, from his previous bachelorettes and bachelor shows will meet in a hot, steamy, tropical paradise <laughs> full of booze and lust. Better be full of happens, deodorant. Right, you know, let's add firearms. <laughs> yes, well, we actually talked a little bit about the, the already going ongoing controversy um, with Corinne and Demario because they stopped filming and there was some question as to whether or not, you know, the season was even going to air because of some questionable behavior. And I think the overall feeling and backlash was what we gave on the show, which was like, isn't that what the show is about? Mm. Um, so it is going to air. They are going to air the footage. Um, so take that for what you will. It's going to be fantastic. I'm certain of it. I've already seen some of the promos. It's a lot of drunk girls crying. <laughs> and then there's a lot of making out. Sounds like that, a Texas that... nightclub. <laughs> Two, two very safe bets. I, I believe it was a past show uh, with our friend Mary Catherine Ham, who joined us to discuss The Bachelorette or, or The Bachelor. And she pointed out that on these shows, like in a real-life relationship, 90 to 95% of your conversations with your significant other are about other stuff. And 5 to 10% of your conversations are about your relationship. Where is this going? And how do we feel about each other? And, you know, and he said, she pointed out that on The Bachelor, it's reversed. Five percent of your conversations are about other stuff. Ninety percent are about, you know, where is this relationship going and how do you feel about me and, and all that kind of stuff. It's a really interesting kind of version of the real world. Absolutely. One of the things that Peter brought up that I thought was just so absolutely on point was that as she was pushing for the, you know, well, it doesn't necessarily mean an engagement kind of thing. She literally said that um, a real engagement. And he's like, no, it is. Um, and he said, and you do realize like we went on our first date together. Then I didn't see you alone for another couple weeks. Then we went on another date together. And he's trying to explain to her that we've been on about five dates all the while being filmed and everything else. And he's basically trying to explain to her, like, I really want to get to know you better and I want to be with you, but I'm not sure this is how it's supposed to be done. <laughs> Again, bringing me to the question as to whether or not Peter had ever actually watched the show. He didn't get the memo, clearly. I, I, Mickey, when you describe it that way, I just can't wait to miss it. Nice. Now, look, The Bachelor in Paradise that is upcoming starting, I believe, Sunday night, perhaps, sometime this week. Um, Bachelor in Paradise, check your local listings, is starting this week. And this is much more of a, for those of us who are old enough to remember Temptation Island, it has that feel to it where they go and they pair off and they drink and they're in bikinis all the time. And the key part here, of course, is there's an equal number of men and women. 
So you don't have that false everyone's competing for the love of one person and one person is somehow falling in love with six people. I'm still waiting for the new merging of two shows called The Naked Bachelor and Afraid Bachelorette. (laughs) 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 Well, I will tell you that Bachelor in Paradise requires very few clothing. Okay. So you're going to get close. Close. Close, but yeah, no good time. You might have a nip slip here or there. Even I'm not sure, <laughs> but you're going to get close all because right. again, these are very attractive people that were on TV already. They've thrown them all together, given them tons of booze, and put them on an island. So you know, sounds like America. I like Survivor. They get showers and makeup and glam squad. <laughs> this is going to be one of the most bizarre resort promotion commercials you've ever seen. <laughs> Right, they're going to they're gonna, you know, basically I imagine wherever they film it, uh, like, like how do you have that meeting with that tropical resort? So the good news is you're going to basically get an hour or, or is it a half hour or an hour show? An hour. An hour of prime time, you know, showcasing all the joys of your resort, except it'll be people getting drunk in them and hooking up and crying and, and going through, you know, drunken relationship drama the entire time. There's a market like- for that. So basically like spring break? Perfect. There we go. Perfect. Coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk about something that is really changing the way we're going to be getting our entertainment and how much it's going to cost probably in the long run. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. We'll be right back. What's in this little blue egg that keeps Barbara Eden looking slim and trim? Oh, there's only one answer to that. It's legs control top pantyhose. See, legs slims and trims but doesn't buy So you get comfort and control. Stretching, Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey show. The landscape of our entertainment is starting to change. And as we know, Netflix is exceptionally popular. All of the streaming services that are now available. And one of the reasons why Netflix has been so popular is that they have been offering Disney programming. And as of earlier this week, That is no longer the case. Disney is going to start their very own streaming line where they are going to have all of their Disney properties available for streaming for a fee, of course, which brings about a lot of different questions. And Jim, as someone who has young kids, um, do you use Netflix to watch the Disney? Okay, so uh, we are not a Netflix household. Oh. All those great shows you've been telling me, oh, you got to watch Stranger Things. Haven't done it yet. Um, we do have Amazon Prime, so we get Amazon Video, and we've got I've gotten to see the uh, the laugh a minute joy of Man in the High Castle, uh, as well as Bosch and and the several other shows, including one we'll just talk about later. But I've been thinking about because this this is being treated very much as a big deal, and the recognition that if you've got Netflix, Netflix, you're like ah, so we don't get the Disney Channel stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, also means you don't get the Star Wars movies. Uh, so a, a good portion of things that you don't think of as being more than just Mickey Mouse and, and you know, kids programming all of a sudden are gone. Apparently this uh, Disney won't cut Netflix off until the 2019 film. So they get the next two Star Wars movies, but they miss out on the new trilogy's final installment. I, look, Mickey, I don't know about you. On the one hand, you can say this is uh, a, a perfect example of the 
evolution of of entertainment programming that we've gone from one in which it went from you know networks to cable to now the world in which really a, a lot of the most discussed programs and some would say the best programs are on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, Sling, HBO Go, Twitch, Viva, you know, I mean, which just one after another. Um, I don't know about you, Mickey. Do you, and also, by the way, this, this Disney program is going to have apparently uh, a separate ESPN streaming thing that will have everything that the ESPN offers except <clears throat> the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that kind of matters. Um, may, also, Yahoo, Twitter, and various other social media networks are looking at creating their own streaming services. Mickey, do you – so I feel like I've missed out on not having Netflix. Mm-hmm. Hulu, you can you know, get through the website, but you have to pay for you know, certain uh, uh, programming. I have Amazon through Amazon Prime. At some point, you know, if you buy a cable package, right. give you a whole bunch of channels, right? So the idea that mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're going to need all of these different programs, and I just kind of have this nagging feeling that at, this, at some point every entertainment network – uh, is going to want its own streaming channel separate from its actual programming channel. And you know, CBS has its own Star Trek program that it wants to do on its own streaming channel that's starting. Well, many of them already have like like ID to go. Like they have their HBO to go. Mm-hmm. They already have their own streaming channel set up. Here's what I find interesting. At, originally when streaming was introduced, it was to be the you know less expensive alternative to cable, right? You could still get all of the quality programming. You'd get original programming. You'd get the movies shortly after they'd come out, you know, kind of on HBO or Stars. You could get them on Netflix and have them all there. Now the problem is that that the streaming market is so segmented that if you were to subscribe to Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and, you know, Disney and all of these others that are starting to come out, Eventually, it goes right back up to being the cost of cable. Exactly. I think that's what I'm uh, finding ominous about this development. We all kind of want, all right, give me, what, give, give me everything that I want and nothing that I don't. And then for a while, it looks like, oh, cable is going to go to a la carte uh, programming, and that'll be much you know, This way, you won't be ha- paying for 90 channels you never watch and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I also noticed, though, that like, it seems like each streaming service – wants to create you – know, they'll have a whole bunch of shows. I'm actually kind of struck every time I get onto Amazon and I see these uh, independent you know, uh, uh, TV shows they've created that I've heard nothing about. Um, but you have this, this creation of this – well, we're going to have two or three prestige programs that everyone will, will rave about, mm-hmm. a Stranger Things or something like that, and people will subscribe because of that. Uh, Twin Peaks, my my all time favorite, is back on Showtime, and Showtime was saying, "Look, we're not worried about ratings. We the day Twin Peaks debuted was the single biggest day for new subscriptions ever, meaning that certain people tuned, you know, bought Showtime just to get this show, and they may or may not keep it after uh, after mm-hmm. that." And so on the one hand, I almost feel like everybody's going to create one really one or two really good shows that everybody wants to watch, and make you pay separately for that. HBO <laughs> has been doing this for years. They have just tapped into the HBO model because, you know, HBO kind of has owned Sunday nights, right? Yeah. For years, literally, from Sex and the City to The Sopranos to obviously now we're at Game of Thrones, but Entourage, and I can think of others that were in the middle. There are True Blood, obviously. Um, They create one signature show, one that you cannot live without, and then you'll pay for it. 
because you don't want to give up your show. And yes, you have like 800 other channels that go along with it, but I can legitimately tell you, I think I watch traditional HBO, not a specific program like Ballers or something. I might watch HBO once a month. I was going to say, you think about networks which had, okay, you have seven days of programming. Let's assume you don't spend that much time worrying about Saturday or Sunday uh, because people are out that night. Now, maybe they switch it to Friday and Saturday and you figure most of your audience is out doing things. Well, it still gives you 21 hours of original program. It gives you actually see, five days a week, five times three, 15 hours of original programming that you're going to want to make as good as possible because you're in competition with the other networks. If you're HBO, maybe you put a lot of focus on 8 p.m. Sunday nights. You put a lot of attention on 9 p.m. Sunday nights. You spend a bazillion dollars at Game of Thrones. And maybe three or four other really big signature shows. And that's it. <laughs> and I just kind of feel like, wait a minute. Yep. As much as I'm enjoying, uh, well, we, we could do a whole segment on Twin Peaks. And I won't, I won't force that upon listeners one more time. Uh, but this, this, this sense that, that uh, one or two programs are building a network, whereas before a network required minimum 15 hours of programming in prime time. Uh, I guess Fox was, would you know, end their prime mm-hmm. time at 10 o'clock. Um, I, I, it, it's that sneaking suspicion that instead of having this cheap, as you said, what, a cheaper, what was supposed to be a cheaper alternative is going to end up nickel and diming us. Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll end up paying for at the end. I also, I also want to let you know that um, your Twin Peaks obsession came up at my high school reunion this weekend. <laughs> oh, really? What, uh, how, in what context? Let's just say someone told me, uh, a friend of mine, Sean, told me that he listened to our podcast every week, that he loved it. Apparently, he showers with us in the podcast. <laughs> Um, yeah, I know. Hi, Sean. I was like, hey, and thanks for showering with us. However, he did say that um, the Twin Peaks thing, he's like, so Jim's a real fanboy. <laughs> and I was like, you don't know the half of it. <laughs> I said, I explained that what we allowed you to actually put on air was about a third of what you really wanted to talk about. <laughs> so I have one friend whose name I will not mention so she doesn't get harassed who – was my, my Twin Peaks buddy when I, I introduced her to the series back, oh, I'm going to say uh, 2003, 2004, sometime around then. We watched the entire series on DVD. Uh, we'd try to get other friends, other, other friends into it, and they just you know, weren't that into it. Mrs. Campaign Spot finds it creepy and weird and doesn't want to watch it at all. She just doesn't want to be on the same floor when we're watching it. And I like her so much. Yes, you know, and you, you have a circumstance in which uh, now once, at least once a week, sometimes multiple times a week, I will email this friend saying, you know, I just realized, and, and offer some other bizarre theory or something like that. Yeah, it's time and, for and your so producer to uh, create a new show open for the Jim and Mickey show just to dress things up a bit. I'm thinking of just playing 30 seconds of the theme music from the original Twin Peaks without saying anything. How about that, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> then everyone will know what show they're listening to. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I could but then spend... come to a point, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt your Twin Peaks story, but I, w- I do want to bring this back. Does it come to a point where instead of a streaming service, like, say it's Netflix, does Netflix suddenly go a la carte? Like, you can rent Stranger Things <coughs> instead of the entire service. Or does it benefit them to continue to have that one signature show and people will suck it up and pay for it? Mm. 
Or alternatively, would it make sense? Like, I, I have a thinking about getting Stranger Things on DVD. Just, you know, watching it. That you know, Like, at some point, does, if a television show is, doesn't need to be enjoyed communally, i.e., nobody watches it at the same time anymore, nobody... Uh, you can't say, oh, I'm up to episode two. Don't give me any spoilers, right? I mean, all of a sudden, we can't talk about shows anymore because now, one, now that they're on demand, now that they're all, you can watch all seasons in one sitting. People will cut you if you give out right? spoilers. You know, I, mean, I can't believe that President Underwood gets shot. God, how could you do that? You know? um, but I don't, I don't watch uh, uh, House of Cards, so I don't know if President Underwood gets shot. So maybe that was a spoiler. If That's so, hilarious. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that... You know, obviously, we, we've run into a situation where it's not communal watching. But again, this my theory is that Disney possibly wanted to buy Netflix and Ugh. was not able to purchase Netflix and then just pulled their own thing. Um, however, it's not unlike Disney. I, like I said, I'm kind of surprised that it's taken Disney this long to think that they could have a streaming channel. Yeah. Well, What's interesting is that the, the networks that end up, uh, that generate the shows, suddenly realize somebody else is making money on distributing the shows. And they all of a sudden like, wait a second, wait a second. <laughs> we want a piece of that money. Yeah. Right? So I don't know whether, the, I, whether we're, we're going to drift towards a world in which the, everybody, everything is done in-house. In other words, there's a com- you know, the company that makes the show is the same company that distributes the show. Um, or whether it'll be one of those things where... Um, Somebody will say, you know what, the real money is made in distribution, or we're we're only good at that. We're only going to focus with uh, with something like that. But it does kind of feel like this. Like on the one hand, this must be a really exciting time to work in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there's such churn, right? There's such changes uh, to it that you know networks may not be around anymore, or all of a sudden you're. you're... But I think they have more outlets to pitch the pilots, which is how I think Netflix and Hulu and Amazon come up with these shows. Is that you know. It's not hard to imagine that some of these shows may have been, you know, five years ago pitched strictly to HBO. Oh, yeah. And now they have the option of pitching it to, you know, multiple outlets. And someone's going to say, like, yes, that really fits what we want to do. They say everything too weird for the networks is probably getting pitched now to uh, the premium cable networks. And if they don't actually that probably goes networks, basic cable, then uh, then premium cable. And then streaming networks, and then we'll say, you know, there are new television shows coming down the pike, but we'll give them a totally fair assessment right after this. You got a date, skin's looking great, cause Curtis Hill's ace, face to face, face to face. See you at eight, skin's looking great, CJ's the place, face to face. Curtis Hill gives you great looking skin, even close up. Inside, it kills bacteria to dry the pimple. Curtis Hill's ace, face to face. Outside, it soaks up all the excess oil. Feeling for great, skin's looking great, cause ace. for skin that looks great, even close up. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. You know, Dave, Mickey, I just want to picture the, the network meeting in which, you know, television networks are sitting there hearing the pitches for possible shows to debut the following fall. And people come in there and they say, so I've got this rapping mayor idea. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, like wrapping paper? No, he's a mayor who wraps. <laughs> and um, and apparently it's, you know, somebody, was it ABC or somebody said, yeah, let's go with that. That's totally different from everything else. Uh, Mickey, am I, am I greeting this idea with, with uh, excessive skepticism or, or is this going to be every bit the crap that I think it is? 
I look. I haven't actually seen an episode of it yet. I've seen several different trailers. I've gone and watched a little bit online, and I feel like they're it's going to be a trick show. And I say this in that they're selling it initially in the original promos and trailers. It was very like kind of comedic and oh my God, you know, he ran to get attention um, because he was a rapper that was struggling and he thought by running for mayor that it would elevate his profile. And ultimately he ends up winning. And so the initial part is him kind of like freaking out and like, oh, my God. And people are like, I can't believe this is happening. But I've seen other promos and trailers which have indicated that it's kind of a he's, you know, a, he's a little bit of a fish out of water. However, his heart's in the right place. Uh. So I'm sorry, the cliche is just crushing me. I know. And so, like, it, it sounds like. They're going to make it where, you know, he might be a bit of a screw up, but he ultimately ends up, you know, doing good things for the town. Didn't Chris Rock play the accidental president a few years ago? I mean, he wasn't rapping, but it was that same kind of nobody thought this guy had a chance until, you know. Yes. Yeah, the, whole, the the rapping mayor. Like it just seems like the, the I was of- actually much more interested in it when I thought it was going to be like a straight up comedy. Yeah, and oh, now yeah. now I feel like it's going to be like a social message comedy, because and I'm going to be so disappointed in it. I, you kind of just picture the the you know there's some sort of machine that just spits out unusual trait and profession. <laughs> it's the tap dancing cop, the yodeling surgeon, <laughs> the juggling lawyer, the rapping mayor. <laughs> Spin the big wheel for well, next we do year's have big the show. Autistic doctor. <laughs> right? Yes, there was some. Oh, what was the? There was I, have some problem, I have problems with Doogie Howser 2.0. <laughs> you know, the, the crime solving professor who had some sort, I believe, had was somewhere on the autism scale. And somebody was kind of trying to the, the idea that every every disability basically is a superpower. Yes. Right. And it's like, you know, God, first of all, you've never encountered people who actually have these problems. And in many people, it's actually a struggle. Like, anyway, yes. And, you know, I'm sorry. And they solve crimes is the other addend- <laughs> the closing sentence of every pitch. I They've gone all the way to the wall on this, too, with that uh, serial killer show, Dexter. You know, it, it's a really interesting lineup for the fall. Um, we've got the rapping mayor. We've got the autistic doctor. And now we have the original Karate Kid. This one, I almost want to give them points for. If, if you're going to do a reboot, in fact, I was just looking at, at just a, a lengthy video from the guys at Red Letter Media about how abysmal and utterly atrocious the Ghostbusters reboot was. If you're going to reboot something, taking Ralph Macchio and putting him into the Mr. Miyagi role is actually kind of creative. I mean, it's kind of what they did with Stallone in Creed. Uh, it's kind of what they do. I probably could even argue the entire Expendables. But the idea of you take the beloved hero of the 80s franchise and you have him passing the torch to a new generation. And you take this familiar face and you put them into the old mentor role. Apparently there was a, a while there was discussion about Eddie Murphy doing a, a television show of Beverly Hills Cop in which his son was the you know uh, fast-talking cop. And there was an older, wiser Axel Foley trying to keep his son from getting into too much trouble. I don't I think I would like, have you know, liked that. Right. I mean the, the idea of like if you're going to – But I do agree that the new series is going to be called Cobra Kai – um that's right i always say wax on new ideas off (laughs) 
Um, and and it, it, it legitimately, it, they're you know reprising the roles um, from the original Karate Kid. And yes, he will be the mentor. This could be good. Um, it, it may be hard to picture Ralph Macchio as an adult as he still looks like he's 12 years old. He's a doughboy. <laughs> he's totally unconvincing at karate then and now. Well, and that was the other thing. I remember, and of course not at the time because I was young enough that I was like, oh, I love Ralph Macchio. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I remember like men and adults who watched it thinking like he would have gotten his ass kicked. Do you That's understand? right. I'd like, have put the house and the trailer on, and the bass boat on Johnny. <laughs> exactly. Like that was not going to happen. Um, and so, you know, I, I understand that maybe maybe he's, you know, going to improve his skills over the time um, that he's had to practice and whatnot. I just think it's interesting because once again, we find ourselves looking at a scenario where we have, you know, similar characters, similar storylines. I'm certain of it. And it's just been rebooted. Now, to be fair, they have not done what Kevin Can Wait has done. Now, guys, um, go ahead. I was, was going to say, this is probably the most audacious stealth reboot of an old program I've ever seen. Mickey, you can walk through the, uh, the sudden changes they're making to a program that had been something of a, a reasonable hit on CBS so far. Well, let's remember that Kevin James and Leah Remney had a hit for, I think it was like 10 years, um, called King of Queens. Everybody remembers that show, right? Even if you didn't watch it, it runs all the time on reruns. It's always out there. Well, just recently, last year, in fact, Kevin James got another sitcom. He's a really funny guy. And the name of that sitcom is called Kevin Can Wait. And, you know, totally different format, totally different people, totally different wife. <laughs> and um, apparently it was initially reported that she was doing some guesting on the show. And now it's being reported they are killing off his wife from season one and they're going to make room for Leah Remini as a romantic interest in his life. Well, you know, uh, the Tim Allen thing, uh, the last man standing, they brought back characters from the old Tim Allen show all the time and, and sort of breezed them past the camera and everybody had this vague yeah, recognition. Did they kill off the wife and replace her with the old wife? No, but the old wife popped in every now and then and everybody knew who she was. It was highly entertaining. The next step is what Kevin James is taking here, yeah. I guess. Cameos they, from, from you know actors who'd worked together in the past yeah. to be kind of cute and they kind of wink towards the camera and yep. stuff. This is taking it a step further. Yes. Though, in that First of all, I can only imagine how the actress who plays the first wife, um, Aaron Hayes, apparently, they, like, 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 sorry, Aaron, uh, deep down, we all just really wanted to make King of Queens again. And um, <laughs> you're in the way. So, you know, that's yeah, the answer. Like, <laughs> I mean, but here's the other thing. My other, you know, possibility here. Is do you think that even though it's a sitcom, it could have kind of this dark under uh, kind of themes here, as both of them are hunted by Scientology? Oh <laughs> <laughs> that is possible. Really, break that fourth wall, right? I mean, make these kind of strange Hollywood, you know, cast John Travolta as a villain, or or even just kind of the annoying neighbor who who always pops in unwarranted and seems to know a lot about them, as if he's conducting surveillance. You or are something. blowing up the fourth wall now. <laughs> blowing it up but, but bringing them all together and again I, I I see what you're saying Dave I've seen a lot of them where you know there's cameos yeah. um, I believe it was the Newhart show yep 
that ended with him with Suzanne Plachette, right? Yep. This, Brought her this back. is all like the next step. Right? I mean, basically, Kevin James should just wake up and said, wow, I had this weird show. I, was on a, I, I had this weird dream. I was on a completely different show. Yeah. <laughs> just pick up where, where, Kevin, where King of Queens left off. Get back into his UPS uniform. <laughs> just and, like it used to be. And get to work. I, yeah, it's <laughs> saying, look, the first season was a terrible idea. Sorry. We apologize. I mean, but is there something to be said for the idea that clearly um, these two have on-screen, on-screen chemistry? And is it worthwhile from a production standpoint to say, you know what? Screw the wife. We're going to kill her off. We're going to bring this back and make it a hit. I'm not even yeah. sure they have on-screen chemistry because this is the Flintstone formula. The fat, dopey husband and the pretty, hot, vixenish wife who somehow falls for the fat, dopey guy who can't do anything right. I think they were copying the Honeymooners and the Flintstones, as mm-hmm. television so often does. It is. I wonder how much the appeal of a program like that is something of a male fantasy um, that you can be the schlub, that you can be a loser, that you, that you don't have to be particularly good at anything, uh, and your wife will love you anyway. The the kind of the also thing if they go with that scenario, shouldn't Bobby Ewing come out of the shower? <laughs> if you're going to undo an entire episode, and and again, it sounds to me like they're just going to build it directly into the storyline. That the wife has died and Leah Remney will be replacing her. And again, obviously, you know, Leah's got all of her things going on with Scientology and whatnot right now. But she hasn't really done much acting um, since King of Queens either. So I'm sure that was a good opportunity for her. Well, she's got her own reality show, though, the Leah Remini show, where she's explaining about Scientology and talking about her life. She's still in the public eye and still popular. Oh, very much so. She's just not she wasn't doing any acting work that I was aware of. And so, again, I think this will be, you know, good for her. Uh, I just, like I said, it's so weird to me that a producer says, you know what we'll do? Just kill her off and bring another one. But again, <laughs> look at Fresh Prince. They didn't kill her off. They just replaced her entirely. That goes back to Bewitched, the yeah, original I, Darren. I almost, you know, you do one wink towards the camera. Uh, you know, Becky, you look different today uh, on Roseanne. <laughs> right. They got different um, daughters. Yep. And uh, don't forget, on uh, on uh, Family Guy, they replaced the girl who played Meg with Mila Kunis in the second season, and nobody said anything. Don't forget that. I'm just saying, don't forget. Don't forget. So it has <laughs> been done before. I'm not sure it's ever been done quite like this. Um, and as, you know, we've been talking about the segmentation of viewing and things of that nature. Sometimes these shows are really worth um, the money that you pay for a subscription to watch them online, and sometimes they're not. Jim and I are going to talk about one. We got Living in the 90s, two and a half hours of the coolest songs on two CDs and two cassettes. Check it out! Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. Before we move on, to one of my recent favorites on Amazon streaming. I, I want to point out one point that stuck very well in our conversations of awkward recastings. In fact, maybe <laughs> the textbook example of how to handle it. Iron Man, in which you've got uh, uh, your favorite from Empire. What's his name? Terrence Howard. That's him. Thank you. Yes. Terrence Howard is in Iron Man playing Rhodey, Iron Man's best friend. It's a great role. He looks at a suit of armor and says, next time, baby. 
Not for you, Terrence Howard, because <laughs> apparently you wanted too much money for the sequel. And Don <laughs> Cheadle was wor- willing to work cheaper. So you have this, this major character recasting. And the first time uh, Rhodey appears in Iron Man 2, that a congressional hearing, there's this really perfect dialogue in which you could, yes, it's technically it's Tony Stark speaking to Rhodey, but it could be just as much Robert Downey Jr. speaking to John Cheadle. Hey, buddy, I didn't expect you to see, to see you here. <laughs> <laughs> Rhodey responds, look, it's me. I'm here. Deal with it. Let's move on. Drop it. <laughs> which Tony says, all right, I'll drop it. And then the story goes and continues. And it's basically like, okay, audience, we know you're expecting Terrence Howard here. We'd like to have him here. He wants too much money. Just pretend Rhodey has been here all along and let's go on with it. That's People are right. so interested in the inside part of the movie business now. The movies actually make jokes about that. Yeah. Yes, and it works for them. Yep. Okay, so, so if a, or they could have just dubbed the old dialogues, which is a kind of an awkward transition to what I'm going I'm to try to pitch Mickey on a most unusual show offered from Amazon Prime. All right. I'm so, in. I, I'm all ears. Pitch me like you're in the shark tank. All right, so Comrade Detective sounds like a very awkward name for a show. <laughs> Does he solve crimes? Well, okay, so here's so you <laughs> no doubt are a fan of uh, uh, of of Romanian television, right, Mickey? Yes, yes, I find myself <laughs> often sitting around watching Romanian right. television. Maybe you're not a fan of, of Romanian television. You're a fan of Channing Tatum, and I have to salute him and uh, Jordan. Uh, uh, Gordon Levitt and, and the, for putting together this really w- wild, wacky satire. Uh, the idea is that sometime in the 1980s, uh, the Romanian government funded this sh- detective show, which mm-hmm. was heavy-handed communist propaganda. <coughs> about so Basically, it pictured the Romanian version of Miami Vice, complete with soundtrack, fashions, and, and all of that. And it's been lost for, for decades. Mm-hmm. And that all of a sudden it has been found. And, and so they've decided to dub it into English featuring uh, uh, Channing Tatum and Joseph Gordon-Levitt as the two mains. They've got a fairly, fairly big name cast uh, making appearance, you know, doing the dubbing of, of you know, Daniel Craig, Nick Offerman, uh, Chloe Sevigny, um, all with like ro- watching Romanian actors act out this perfectly cliched 80s cop show <laughs> in which the villain, a, the villain is a guy in a Reagan mask. Who's <laughs> smuggling in Monopoly board games? Okay. Genes that they keep pronouncing as Jordaki. <laughs> oh my God, Jordash. Uh, and, and trying to undermine the the you know the perfect communist utopia they have there, and all of these heavy like like uh, sometimes heavy handed, sometimes very subtle jokes like um, that when when a witness commits uh, suicide, the the police captain is shocked and horrified. He says, "No man has the right to take his own life." That right is reserved entirely for the state. <laughs> uh, and various other observations that, you know, when they see the dead body, oh, not even the great Romanian healthcare system can save him now. Uh, oh, wow. It, it, it's bizarre. It's funny. The humor is. <laughs> you Should know, people what, be high when they watch it? <laughs> no, because you know, it's it, it, one, you'll be amazed at how much certain cop cliches translate so well, right? The, the, you know, uh, one cop has a drinking problem. One's a family man. The other is a ladies' man. Uh, certain things being, you know, completely uh, universal. Um, and then the second thing is, I, I think they're trying to make a point about 
they, in their minds, if they said, look, every film they watched in the 80s and every TV show had Russians as bad guys. Right. <laughs> I don't remember it quite that way, but okay. But the point is, is that how weird and awkward it is. I don't know. The Russians showed up quite a bit. Yeah. I guess you're right. You're generally... The, or so, like they wouldn't necessarily say Russian. But they would have like this strange kind of Eastern European accent. Yeah, they'd be yeah. like Uzbeks or something. Yes, exactly. That variety, and also obviously the Central American drug cartels, uh, you know, showing up every every couple of, <laughs> certainly in Vice and every cop in every cop show. They used to have Arab terrorists as bad guys too, but they stopped doing that about twenty five years ago. Oh, speaking yeah. of which, apparently they're trying to remake Miami Vice now. I could say, so first of all, I, I, I would argue, you look back and you watch Miami Vice. Mm-hmm. In some ways, does it seem dated? Yes. Somebody pointed out that on almost any sitcom, when they want to show that a scene is a flashback to the 80s, mm-hmm. how do they have the character dress? Like, like Don Johnson. People, yeah, like the people right? from Miami Vice. The white linen jacket with the sleeves rolled up. Oh, yeah, yeah, a hot pink neon shirt and a, and a you know, white suit. With the sleeves rolled up and maybe maybe Converse sneakers or something like that. Like mm. Miami Vice managed to define the '80s style, arguably more than any other show. I would say that's probably true. Um, but actually, in terms of like like the actual storytelling and the kind of the vision of of police work and kind of the, the gritty realism, it actually still holds up pretty well as a show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's kind of a, you know, I, I will always stand up and kind of defend Miami Vice as a... Uh, well, I understand that. What I don't understand is why we can't just make a movie about, you know, the Miami um, Vice squad, so to speak, without being a Miami Vice remake. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, we have different drug cartels now than what we were dealing with there, but, you know, some of the storylines probably haven't changed a bit. I just I I'm just not certain that it's necessary to make it Miami Vice two. So I was watching a a uh, that lengthy video mocking the remake of Ghostbusters in 2016. Yes. And they quote the director and he says, "Well, we began by making a list of all the things we loved about the original Ghostbusters, <clears throat> and they mentioned Ecto one and the uh, crossing the streams and Slimer and and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking about like on the one once you have that complete list." God, doesn't that like pretty much give you – it doesn't give you a lot of room to maneuver right. you know, to go in your own direction, right? So if, you, if you're like, okay, we're going to make a show called Miami Vice and you could say that you know, the, the Jamie Foxx movie demonstrated you could update the characters uh, that they're well, certainly – Well, yeah, that's the other thing. We've already had a movie. Mm-hmm. If you decide to update Miami Vice like, – like uh, the first thing I, I think that's really important if you want to do Miami Vice, if you film it in Miami – by itself, it's going to look really different from all the other cop shows filmed in L.A. and New York. Mm-hmm. You know, like there, there was a very distinctive, the Art Deco architecture, the colors, the, the weather, the sunlight. Right. I mean, like you, it's going to have a different atmosphere and feel, uh, which I think added a lot to making uh, making Miami Vice stand out from all the other cop shows that have mm-hmm. you know, come and gone since. The idea is like you, you, you probably would only need to keep. You know, the storylines were gritty, but the yeah. filmography was not. The cost of uh, uh, the, co- the the cost of the effect of drugs at a time when it really was booming in South Florida, uh, and arguably throughout the entire country. That was it, the it, cocaine know, really like boom, that. by the way, specifically cocaine. Yeah, that was all the cocaine movement. Now, of course, we're moving on to heroin. Yeah. <laughs> Still cocaine. Don't get me wrong. But. Yeah. But that's what, like I said, I feel like there's actual potential for a decent show here. I'm just not certain that it was necessary to to run it through as 
you know, a reboot of Miami Vice. Sometimes I feel like that puts too much pressure mm. on a show that, you know, may have been able to handle it on its own. They didn't necessarily have to bring back Crockett and Tubbs, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Just call it trafficking and go from there. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and the uh, animated one for kids can be called Miami Mice. <laughs> Crockett and Tubbs can be little mice. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, we will be right back um, with some of your answers from Trivial Tuesday and some of your favorite commercials. Before break, official Soviet Union joke, captured audience must laugh. Two guys waiting in line in Moscow. There's a shortage of meat at the grocery store. Everybody's waiting for the delivery. One guy says, I've had enough of these shortages. I'm going to kill Gorbachev. And he stalks off. About an hour later, he's back. First guy says, what happened, comrade? Second guy says, that line was longer than this one. <laughs> Good Soviet citizens laughing now. You're not laughing to go to Gulag. If I told him how I make Hidden Valley Ranch salad dressing, he'd never try it. I ate it. This dressing's delicious. It's different. You see, the Hidden Valley fixings turn mayonnaise and buttermilk. What'd you say? I said we're out of butter. Oh. Into an extraordinary salad dressing with a fresh, lively flavor that's delicious, like he says. Eat it. Who are you talking to? I'm talking, uh, it's only the TV, Ralph. Delicious Hidden Valley Ranch, the original flavor buttermilk dressing with the original taste. The San Pedro Beach Bugs. B-U-N-S, Bugs! What is he? Police dog. They're cunning. He's undercover. Oh, boy. But they get a surprise from Charlie's Angels, the San Pedro Beach Bums, right before 49ers versus Steelers on NFL football. This is a cubic foot. There are five more of these inside the new Chevrolet than there are inside this year's older style full-size cars of Chevy's nearest sales competitor. That's based on U.S. government estimates of vehicle interior size as reported in the 1977 EPA Guide for New Car Buyers. The new Chevrolet with five more cubic feet of room. It stacks up beautifully. Now that's more like it. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And we hope you enjoyed all those commercials. Mickey remembered the Trivial Tuesday contest this week. Let's give her a round of applause. Thank you. And uh, it was a really good question. It was, what was your favorite commercial of all time? And, um, boy, a lot of good uh, uh, possibilities on this one. Mickey, I actually, I uh, responded on Twitter, but as I'm, before we go further into this, this uh, our little contest or our little question to the audience, mm-hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb. For you, I'll be shocked if I'm not right on this. Mean Joe Green? Oh, absolutely. Right? I mean, that, that's kind of, you know, for, for, is there a Steeler fan for whom that isn't their favorite? Their, their favorite uh, no, and I'm not really old enough to even remember it naturally airing. Mm, I do. But it is still my favorite commercial of all time. I remember it on the game broadcast. It was pretty, pretty moving for a football fan, especially well, someone young. Like the first time, like, a football, and again, because of his... His his known you know mean Joe Green his misnomer is so tough on the field yeah. the idea that he was you know here kid and threw him a jersey that was pretty awesome. Mine is still the uh, Johnson Outboards commercial. You your girl and your Johnson. 
<laughs> I don't think that one can be beaten in modern times. You've got your sunrise. You caught a prize. You, you're making your Johnson. Party nights, summer whites. You, your friends, and your Johnson. Rooster tails, water trails. You, your kids, and your Johnson. Saturday nights, distant lights. You, your girl, and your Johnson. You and your Johnson, a way of life for over 50 years. Good. Now, I thought about, uh, on Twitter, I had given you a uh, particularly spectacularly moody Twin Peaks promo back from uh, 1990. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to remember that one. Um, I, I think probably the FedEx guy with talking really fast stands out as, as one that's obviously memorable. Everybody, you know, uh, uh, sticks, uh, you know, no, no one can possibly forget that one. Um, I think for sheer audacious, like the kind of commercial you actually enjoyed seeing come on, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to go with Joe Asuzu. Uh, oh, okay. Right? So this is you know, this actor named David Leisure who did a few sitcoms here and there after that, but uh, uh, really just became almost a, for a little while, a metaphor for That's somebody right. who His was stick really... was excessive lies, right? Every lie he yes, told was you know, you over know, the top. car gets 94 miles to the gallon, <laughs> and on the bottom of the screen it would say, he's, he's lying. lying. Right? He's lying. Um, <laughs> And in fact, as I'm looking this up, I'm realizing Ronald Reagan compared Nicaraguan leader Daniel Ortega to that fellow from Isuzu. So <laughs> entered presidential history and all that kind of stuff. So I think for sheer creativity and kind of making fun of advertising, uh, I had to I have to give it to, to Joe Isuzu. Joe Isuzu was good. I was surprised we had some really good answers, um, and 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 it was kind of across the board. I, I also mentioned that I like the current Allstate commercial with the dad who's in the car with his family and they all have their, <laughs> you know, their headsets on and he's just sitting there talking and he's like, you know, and I, and I got a new putter. That's and right. And she doesn't off. even know. I about don't. It. She doesn't even know. I love it. Um, one of my favorites that first popped up was Reebok's Terry Tate, the office linebacker. Oh, that was fabulous. Fabulous. <laughs> that was great. Um, we had uh, Andrew came back with the Tootsie Roll. One or the Tootsie Pop, rather one, two, yeah. Three. How many licks does it take to get to the center? One, two, three, crunch. <laughs> yes, Dale Noel came back with taste great, less filling. Really good, really good. I was gonna say, uh, I'm looking over the other responses, two others that actually go to whole categories of commercials. But again, if you find yourself rushing to the television and or telling people to shush because you want to hear the commercial, that's a good sign. Uh, going back to the 70s and early 80s, the light beer from Miller Gang. Oh, man. Uh, Rodney rain, Dangerfield. Filling, mm-hmm. right? Endless variety of, of you know, uh, uh, funny personalities from sports. and. Uh, uh, Brad uh, Essex gave us a great one of what's up. The what's up. Somebody nominated the ESPN uh, golfer Arnold Palmer ordering an Arnold Palmer or, or putting, you know, his iced tea and lemonade together. Pretty darn good. I think you can put almost all of the ESPN commercials uh, into, into that category. Well, I love like the, the uh, one with the fruity Cocoa Pebbles commercial with the Flintstones and the original Clydesdale commercial for Budweiser. I love the uh, Miller Lite commercial where they argue about what to watch on TV and then they bang it with the Miller can and the, the TV plays a mixture of the two things they wanted to see. One guy said football, <laughs> the other guy said golf, and they hit the television and it played full contact golf. Awesome. <laughs> where the pro hit the shot and then started running down the fairway to get away from the defensive line. <laughs> yeah, golf. Good ball. Golf. Golf. 
Now, football. Let's watch both. Miller Lite presents Full Contact Golf. Yeah! We're still on the first hole, Bob, and this is Davis teeing it up. Here's the drive. It is blocked! Brought to you by Miller Lite. If you can combine great taste and less filling, you can combine anything. Oh, he's got daylight going for the green. Here's the putt. There's the blitz! Good beer. Great taste, less filling. Can your beer do this? Trent suggested God made a farmer. That was a big one. Mm. Definitely for arguably the classiest in there. I'm going to remind you of a famous and enjoyable ad with just two words, guys. You ready? Owen Burr. Oh, that was peanut butter. Yes, it was actually the. Uh, it, was, it was. It was actually for milk. It was one of those got milk ones. But the uh, <laughs> the guy's trying to call in to win a trivia contest. Ironically, I believe who shot Alexander Hamilton. If you don't know that now, <laughs> Aaron Burr. Just eating a peanut butter sandwich. Or you could turn Aaron Burr. I'm gonna have to look that one up. Oh, it's a good one. Anymore, you can see them all on YouTube anyway. If you check the answers under my Twitter feed of the question, there are actually a lot of people who included the original commercials, including Give It to Mikey, He'll Eat Anything, um, and some other really good ones. You can find those on my uh, Twitter feed under T-Jams and Bias Girl. You'll be able to find some of the other answers. They were great. Thanks so much for participating with us this week. Um, We may not be back next week because Jim is going to be traveling. We'll be back after that. So you need to catch up on all of our shows at soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. You can find us on Facebook forward slash Jim and Mickey show. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bias girl. He's at Jim Garrity and Dave, the birthday boy is at big Dave P. Um, look forward to seeing you talking with you soon. I'm Mickey white. He's Jim Garrity. You've been listening to the one, the only Jim and Mickey show. Thank you.